Welcome to Council 4 Unplugged. This is the podcast of our Council 4, AFSCME Union in New Britain. We are proud to represent 30,000 working women and men throughout the great state of Connecticut. And I'm Larry Dorman, the host of this podcast. We have a special program today. We're going to be looking at how union workers within the State Department of Correction have taken the lead in pioneering a program that is keeping correctional employees safe and healthy. And our guests, I'm going to introduce them now, are Millie Brown. Millie is the president of the NP8 bargaining unit representing correctional supervisors. She's with the CSEA union. Welcome, Millie. Hi. Mike Fargo is on the executive board of Local 1565. Mike is a correctional officer and works at your correctional institute. Hi, Mike. Good to have you. And we also have with us Aaron Lichwala, who is a member of AFSCME Local 387. Aaron works at Manson Youth Institution. Hi, Aaron. Hi, Larry. Uh, appreciate the three of you coming here today. And we're here talking today about a program that is literally saving people's lives within the Department of Correction. It's called the Employee Assistant Unit Program. And Mike Vargo from AFSCME Local 1565, perhaps you could give our listeners an overview of uh, what this program is all about. Yeah, um, it started about four years ago. We had um, a member reach out to our local union, um, and he he was going through a tough time in his life. He had gotten some in trouble with some people, you know, in the law. He got DUIs, and he was actually going to look at some uh, jail time. So he reached out to us. He did his jail time, and um, they were looking to terminate him because the way the policy and procedures within the department you get five unauthorized leave days without notifying the department, they have the right to terminate you. So we did a lot. We tried to uh, reach out to um, HR and the commissioners and and its policy and procedure. So there wasn't much we could really do. So uh, back then we had um, Eric August, John Nesbitt and Mike Tuttle. They uh, sat down with HR at the time and they formulated a plan. And this is where the EAU came from to try to maybe give members other options, uh, especially when they're in, in help with uh, mental health issues or addiction issues. Right. And it's kind of flourished from there, in my opinion. Interesting. And um, Aaron, I think the the premise from the way Mike has described the Employee Assistance Unit program is that if people are dealing with um, substance abuse and, and other serious issues, that uh, you're talking about folks potentially breaking down kind of immediately, so time isn't a luxury here, um, and that seems to be one of the premises behind the program, correct, that you've got to move proactively and quickly to help people. Yeah, correct. It's uh, Sometimes it takes a lot for a correction officer to uh, break down um, just because of what they're usually exposed to on a day-to-day basis. Um, they tend to hide their emotions. So when they do break down, uh, usually that's the time to um, try to get them to commit to some type of help, uh, whether it's an inpatient, outpatient, or, or just a local counselor. If they're uh, breaking down to you, uh, sometimes if that happens on a Friday, sometimes you waiting until Monday morning is uh, too long. Mm-hmm. So, um, so what happens then? Uh, Mike mentioned a case. Um, you've all seen cases. Um, what happens when uh, a correctional employee, a frontline employee, um, is dealing with mental health or substance abuse problems? Uh, typically, um, we'll have a conversation with them and, and, and try to evaluate where, where they're at with it. Um, you know, if it's 
if it's something, um, if they're in crisis mode, obviously um, there's always the emergency room that's available in, in any town or, or uh, any city, I should say. But um, if it's if it's um, very obvious that it's a, a it's an addiction issue, um, we have spent a lot of time vetting different um, facilities around the the country actually treatment um, facilities treatment facilities mm-hmm. for addiction substance abuse or mental health um, that uh, offers first responder programs and also that are compatible with our insurance um, so we, we spent a great deal of time looking for new places mm-hmm. and in outpatient places as well because yeah. we do have a lot of uh, vets and you know and obviously there's PTSD involved in some of those cases so right we're trying to find a bigger network to help uh, the vets. Uh, Millie Brown, your union represents, your CSEA union represents correctional supervisors. Uh, so you certainly, and you, you actually were an AFSCME member previously. You were a correctional officer as well before becoming a supervisor. What, what, so what prompted your involvement then with the Employee Assistance Unit Program? So uh, about two years ago, um, we came to a meeting um, at the department when we were um, when MP4 was looking to get the program up and running, so we kind of came together because the supervisors um, are supervising the officers and the MP4 members. So yeah, that's where our and many of your members have also come up through the ranks. Correct. That is correct. Um, and uh, for for our listeners out there, uh, you know, I uh, working in a, within a prison system is. Uh, a tough, dangerous job, maybe as tough and dangerous a job as, as there is. So um, I'm sure from your experience, both as a, as a correctional officer and now as a supervisor, um, clearly you've spoken with, with workers who were in need, in, in need of special treatment, I would assume. Yes, in, in need of assistance, yes. Right. And, and previously, they're just, Mike, I'll, I'll ask you, it, there just wasn't an adequate response mechanism to help people with PTSD and similar issues? Well, the department does have a EAP unit they, they, um, they utilize, and throughout, throughout my career that, you know, multiple staff has used that. Um, I think it's a decent program. Um, I think it was important for the unions especially to get involved a little bit more than EAP because we work with these people. We we see them. It's just not, it's just not a phone number that you just call and talk to someone on another line. So it was important to us, and that's when this first started, was to show the department that you know it is important for the union to get involved because a lot of the staff aren't willing to call EAP. And like I said, it's nothing against that program, but it it, it seems like, in my opinion, the past couple of years that we've gotten a lot done with staff just reaching out to the unions and the e-boards. And, and, and what's nice about it, to dovetail off the, the MP8 part, the supervisor uh, union, is it was important to us to get them involved as quick as possible. You know, the first couple of years we had some hurdles we had to get over, but we all work together. We might disagree at times, but we all have to, we're all, you know, brothers in blue in a, in a way. So... It's especially important that we brought them in, and, and as time has gone by, we've noticed now that the wardens will call us directly if they, if they notice something with staff, and four or five years ago, that wasn't happening. 
where HR mm. and wardens, we all communicate and we're all on the same page with this. And you've seen that, Millie, obviously. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yes. Um, and, and, and the working relationship, yes. Um, it it kind of, if, if there's an officer in need, the supervisor may um, have noticed and reached out to the MP4. Hmm. I, I th this just sounds um, so remarkable and so humane to me. And, and again, what I'm, I'm proud of and impressed with is the fact that our unions um, collaborated to do this. Not that necessarily the employer was resistant. As you said, there was an EAP program in place. But this is something, Aaron, it's just something completely different and, and kind of innovative. Have you seen many programs like this around? Um, well, actually... Um Massachusetts Department of Corrections has, has had this program up and running. Mm -hmm. we, call it, we have a different title, but they, yeah. they, they've been doing it. So we've been actually learning a lot from them. Mm -hmm. uh, they're like 30 years ahead of us on it. Uh, and so whatever opportunities they can provide us uh, with, with training or something like that, uh, we usually try to uh, align ourselves with it. Mm -hmm. Can any of you estimate um, how many uh, DOC employees have come forward or are using this program. If you can take a guess at it, 100, 150, I'm not sure. but we Each local keeps, a track, keeps track of, you know, their monthly reports, we call them, and we give it to, uh, we have a point person in HR that we deal with. If I had to guess, uh, it's over 100. I mean, it, it's gone in waves. That's one thing I've noticed. Um, around the holidays, it's, it's, it, it seems less because I think people just want to get through the holidays before they might have to deal with some of their issues. But uh, I can speak in my experience in the past two months. It's been the busiest two months I've dealt mm. with over mm. 15 people. And, you know, I'm, I'm, to try to bring this home to people who are listening, uh, and please any of you respond, uh, I'm looking at a 2018 study out of Washington State University which found that prison employees are almost as likely to have post-traumatic stress disorder as veterans who have served in Iraq and Afghanistan. And that kind of, uh, that sort of blew me away when I, I read that. And there have been other studies, too, that uh, sounds like the public may not understand um, the challenges and the stresses uh, of, of working inside the prison system. I don't know if any of you want to... I saw that statistic, too, Larry. Yeah. And, uh, also, the life expectancy statistics and... They're not very favorable for correction staff. Um, I mean, other than what they actually see, the trauma, the, the visual trauma of incidents that occur, um, mm -hmm. there's also the, um, the scheduling. Uh, you know, when you first start, you're going to be working a lot of holidays. Um, you get mandated. Um, you miss out on a lot of family events. Uh, all yeah. this stuff, you know, takes a toll on, on a person. Uh, it, it strains relationships, um, and sometimes that leads to divorce. Unfortunately, mm -hmm. and, um, mm -hmm. you know, there's there's also the workers' comp piece. A lot of times, you you know, the, the prisons are made up of uh, cement and asphalt. So, uh, any there's you know, you're always getting injured if you're involved in incidents. And uh, mm -hmm. like I said, it could lead to workers' comp. Um, and there's all just there's all different angles of you know. Of, putting tolls on people right. in, this, in this profession. And Yes, Millie? Um, I also want to add is the work hours. You mm -hmm. know, at any given point in time, it, you know, your eight-hour shift could be 16-hour shift. Right, right. You go in thinking you're only going to do eight right. hours and then so you're mandated. You could, have, you could have to work 16 hours, and, you know, if you do that, you know, three out of five of your working days 
Yeah. It adds up. And I also wanted to say that the program has also um, helped individuals, family members as well. Never thought about that, and that's true, right? The, the impact is, it echoes beyond the individual worker. Our guests are Aaron Lichwala from Ask Me Local 387, Mike Vargo, Ask Me Local 1565, and Millie Brown of uh, the CSEA NP8 Correctional Supervisors Union. We're talking about uh, employee health and wellness and specifically the Employee Assistance Unit Program. It, it sounds like the department and the state uh, are, are understanding and appreciating the value of what you have all moved to make happen within DOC. Yeah, early on, I think they, there was some concern from the department where, where, you know, the union guys and we're trying to just protect our members and mm-hmm. trying to figure out an angle how to really uh, get them out of trouble. Um, in some of the meetings we've had in the past 12, 18 months, we've had some of the high-ranking supervisors in some of these meetings, and they were in shock that a lot of the members that were involved with, you know, the, the program um, – weren't facing discipline. They weren't facing any legal action. They had just reached out to us just for help. So they were kind of appreciative of that. And once they saw that and they saw that we're all working together as a team and we're not trying to cause any problems, that I think they they, they embraced it more. Hmm. Interesting. Um, and again, you what you're telling me is that you, you all toured and vetted facilities that provide treatment that is – kind of specific to what uh, law enforcement and public safety workers go through. These aren't like cookie cutter places. They actually specialize in this area. Yeah. And um, and a lot of the feedback when the, when the members come back from say an inpatient program for, you know, 28 days or so is that, that, that uniqueness of having the first responder program is what got them through the program and made a terrible situation into a better situation and they actually develop a network with the individuals they meet out there, whether you know they're in uh, New York, Massachusetts, Pennsylvania. They meet all these other people in law enforcement, and they, you know, they have a like say a, a group message for the rest of their lives together. Um, so that's that's invaluable. Certainly, without violating anybody's privacy, um, and we don't need to mention facilities or anything. But I'm I'm curious if if the three of you or any of you can relate some stories you've heard or some experiences you've seen with DOC employees who went through the program and and, and were helped. Yeah, I mean, it, it, the one to touch on what Aaron said about these, uh, you know, the law enforcement. Um, Programs or the shield programs are called, or what are the other names? Leader leader programs. A lot early on, the the staff's concern were, you know, you work in a, a prison setting, and there are a lot of prisoners go to rehabs a lot of times. So they were concerned about, you know, seeing these people in these rehab facilities, knowing that the correctional officers or they've dealt with them in the past. So it was really important us to find a lot of facilities out of state and a lot of facilities um, with these leadership type programs. And I don't know how specific we really want to get. I mean, about you know personal stories. I don't know. You know uh, yeah, and you don't. I, I'm, I'm just kind of curious about. Uh, I'm, I'm imagining though that 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 employees have come forward with some pretty serious situations and that this, this it's program. It's all different. I yeah. mean, it, it dep- it's all situational. It depends right. on the person. depends on the story. But the bottom line is you're getting 
you're getting help to people who need it and they can actually stay employed, which is a good thing, and get treatment for what's what's um, afflicting them. Yes. Yeah, right. it's not just the, uh, an individual who got arrested at this point anymore on a DWI coming forward. It's uh, other individuals who who may who know an individual that went uh, got arrested and went and got treatment, but now that person... Uh, says, you know what? I just exhausted. I want to change my life around, and and there's no, there's no um, poor attendance involved at the agency level. There, there's no arrest piece. They're just exhausted and coming forward and, and surrendering, trying to change their life for the better. I would agree. It's people just get, and most experiences I've had is they're just tired and they're ready to do something else, move right. on. Right, and the, and and at the same time, you know, it could have a home life piece in it mm-hmm. where they know that if they don't um, seek help, that it may ruin their home life. Right. So, so they're stepping up. Right. This is like sort of, they're, they're at the end of the line, is, is what you're saying, Millie, and they realize they need something. Um, where do you see the future of this? You, do you, you hope to see this sustained, and, and, and how is it going to be, um, how is it going to continue? Uh, for me, at least, uh, the agency is currently in the process of getting a director of this unit, which I think is a positive thing. Um, we just, our only concern is hopefully they will work with the unions and not just take it over. Right. Um, I don't see that happening, but who knows? Um, but either way, it's going to be positive. At the end of the day, it's about people getting help, and that's you know at least what I care about. And and we'll Good. deal with that other stuff later. Yeah, I do have to say though that um, my interest in making sure we we had you on the Council for Unplugged podcast is that people often think in the, in the public, you know, the the job of the union is to negotiate pay and retirement benefits and health care, but unions are so much more than that. And and I think what impresses me about this program is the employee assistance unit is a real example of how unions um, do much more than just negotiate the narrow terms of a, of a collective bargaining agreement. I don't know if any of you want to comment on that, but it, it's pretty impressive that you're doing this. Yeah, I mean, you know, I started about four years in the union, and I actually had no idea what the big wigs in the union did, I guess, if you want to use that word. But, um, yeah, I, I see a change over the past at least five years in my experience where, you know, I think people are more progressive. There's, a you know, younger people getting more involved in the unions. The state has hired a lot of corrections officers that are in their 20s right now. So it's important that we show that we're just not, you know, paying pension, health care. That's important, but also, you know, we got to look after for each other and look out for each other. Right. I wanted to add now that, you know, the um, the new employees coming in are 25 um, years and out. So they have a longer, you know, they have an additional five years of a career to look at. Right. So people if we are going to help work. them mm-hmm. along the way. Yeah. People are, in other words, going to be working longer yeah. uh, in, again, a dangerous and stressful situation. I mean, I know you all know what you sign up for when you do this job, but it doesn't mean there shouldn't be programs and protections in place to help people get the job done. Correct. I agree. Yeah. Any final thoughts, Aaron? Um, you hope to keep going with this program too, obviously. I do. Um, Larry, um, you had asked uh, before if you, uh, for an example, I, I just want to offer mm. uh, one with not too many specifics. Yeah, please. We did have an individual that um, went away to treatment and, you know, I spent a good amount of time dealing, you know, speaking with that individual before he actually went to treatment 
And unbeknownst to me, when when he came back, he explained to me, you know, that uh, I was in a really bad place. I had a, a, a plan to uh, commit suicide um, on this date in this way. And, uh, you know, the fact that he went away and got treatment, he's still alive today. And, you know, that was like uh, was a very touching story. And proof that you're really having a positive impact. Um, Millie Brown, Mike Vargo, Aaron Lichwala, um, you all work in the state correctional system. You're doing fantastic work on behalf of your unions, and I thank you for joining us on Council 4 Unplugged. As always, thanks for listening to our Council 4 Unplugged podcast. You can find us on all major social platforms by searching for Council 4 AFSCME. Our website is council4.org. My name's Larry Dorman, and you've been Unplugged.